Hey, this is Martin from Terra Cactus, and you're listening to KAOS Olympia. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Low Profile. I'm Mark Lee Morrison, and right now I'm playing an instrument called a Jenko Celestet. My old friend Damien Foz gave it to me almost 20 years ago when he joined the Peace Corps, and it wasn't until a few days ago that I learned its name, thanks to low-profile listener Carol Cleveland. Shout out there. I'm thinking about getting it tuned up. Some of the notes on it are a little abrasive, and it needs new felting. It's kind of like a keyboard-controlled glockenspiel that weighs a ton and looks a bit like an accordion. I guess I thought I'd tell you about this because I'm going to be using it for the intro music moving forward, which is why I'm prompted to get it fixed. Thanks to some of the listeners who are helping cover the cost. I've got a wonderful show for you today, but first I'd like to give you a little info about this free summer concert series I've been working on for the last few months, Schurler Sundays with Mark Lee Morrison. Yeah, they got my name in there. <laughs> Basically, the folks from Three Magnets Brewing Company, the makers of Schurler Easy Beer, have invited me and a bunch of terrific artists to give the Olympia community a steady string of concerts with an interview segment at each one. These are going to be my first attempt at doing live episodes, and while it will be a little bit different from the usual format, you're still going to get a brief interview and audience Q&A, and that'll give way to an intimate performance behind the historic Carnegie Library in downtown Ole. So you might be wondering who's performing. It's a big list. Check it out. From Olympia, we have Dylan Shearer, Allie Baker, Lee Baggett, Kelsey Magnuson, Olivia Rose of O Rose, The Pine Hearts, Jenna Riffis, James Maida, Annie Schultz, The Mona Reels, Knoll State, and Waves Crashing will be kicking off the series. And then from out of town, get a load of this. Doug Marsh of Built to Spill is going to be there, and also of the Tree People and the Halo Benders. Uh, I'm a little bit nervous about that one. Uh, the homie Jack Habiger's Celebrity Telethon will be here. Lake, old homies, uh, I'm going to probably jump in and sing a couple with them. And uh, we've got Austin Leonard-Jones, terrific indie country singer, songwriter, and uh, he's a big Beach Boys fan, so uh, that's something to love. Lavender Country, returning to the show in a live format. We have Zachary Kale, who is another indie country singer. Uh, And Michael Hurley, unbelievable. Michael Hurley. Um, If you don't know, you better ask somebody. So the first one of these is on June 12th. It's going to be running every Sunday at 3 p.m. until August 14th. Again, these shows are all free, open to all ages, and taking place outdoors, weather permitting. I really hope you can make it out and say hi. All the info for this series can be found at schurlerbeer.com. That's S-C-H-E-R-L-E-R-beer.com. All right, my guest on today's show is Martin Salasco, the man behind the group Terror Cactus, an electro-cumbia fusion project based in Kashmir, Washington. 
This is their recent single, and I'm hoping I'm doing this title justice, Cumbia del Sachoyosh. Martin tells me about his early exposure to South American music, giving credit to his father who was in the music business when he was a child living in Miami, where he taught himself to make multi-track recordings as a preteen. He was he was pressing CDs and distributing that throughout like the Latin American marketplace. At the time CDs were relatively new and the technology for pressing that wasn't widely available throughout many Latin American countries. We also discuss his move to Seattle and the challenges of bringing his music rooted in tradition to a predominantly white indie rock audience, why he doesn't sing, and his new collaborations with folks who do. I spoke on the phone with Martin Salasco from his farm in Kashmir. Martin Salasco, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Um, I just played for the listener the latest single as of uh, the recording of this interview. I don't want to mess up the pronunciation. What What's that single called? It's called Cumbia del Sachayos. All right. Yeah, I wouldn't have got that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... You, you make modern, kind of neo-traditionalist cumbia music, and that's a type of music that I've been really, really in love with ever since I first became aware of it. Um, and the only reason I haven't had very many, or any, <laughs> cumbia artists on this show before is because I have the handicap of not speaking Spanish, and so I can't really talk about the songwriting the lyrics you know <laughs> so um we have an advantage here because terror cactus is primarily instrumental music that's true we've had the pleasure of meeting in the past uh we, we played a show together once here in olympia that's right and uh you came out and played another gig for kiddos that i set up yeah that was awesome thank yeah. you yeah that was pretty special I've, you know, it's party music, so very. Yeah, and it's not often I get the opportunity to play for that age group either. So that was fun. Yeah. Well, I was wondering if we could maybe get to know you a little bit, and I wanted to hear a little bit about your background, like growing up. You know, like when you were a kid, and, and about your family, just like kind of general portrait of your childhood i grew up in miami mostly i was born in argentina um 
very, very young. I was probably, you know, a baby. My parents immigrated to Miami. And yeah, that's where I grew up. Um, very different from Seattle, which is where I ended up uh, 13 years later. And it was quite a sh culture shock going from Miami to Seattle. Uh, everything from the weather, the music, the politics. It was just kind of on the opposite end of things. And yeah, yeah. I, I, I loved it on the one hand because, you know, I was into punk and grunge at the time. And, you know, I was going to the land of Nirvana. And there's all this stuff in Seattle that, you know, wasn't there at the time in Miami. You know, a lot of all ages events and, and yeah, really yeah. ways for young people to get involved in the music scene. So I was stoked. And... That's kind of how I ended up up here. Um, right on. And um, so when you got involved in the Seattle music scene, is that like when you began to learn instruments or did you do that at an earlier age? I started pretty young. Uh, probably, I think first I learned guitar in first grade. Um, oh, wow. And then started take, taking piano lessons after that, kind of more classical classical piano um and then my dad uh was always pretty musical we come from somewhat of a musical family uh and he was into recording you know and production and so as like a very young kid he sh taught me how to record stuff and like overdub and mix a little bit and oh wow uh i got really into that from a young age, you know, just writing my own songs and, and putting them down and, and learning from that process. Oh, that's wild. Do you still have like demos and of things that you made up when you were little? Yeah, they're terrible. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. What was the, what was the uh, musical avenue you were going down at that age? Uh, there was a little of everything. Uh -huh. uh, yeah, I was always you know, interested in, in some of the Spanish rock and, and that sort of stuff, but also, I don't know, just what a typical 12 year old would try to make more like pop punk sort of, sort of stuff. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Oh, so, um, does the, the cumbia and the sort of South American music, does that come from your dad? Uh, yeah, it comes from, from my dad and, you know, from my upbringing, in Miami and, and my f connection to my family in Argentina. Um, my dad had a small uh, record label that he started when he immigrated to Miami and it was focused primarily on like Latin American compilations. You know, he had like a cumbia compilation. He had a, you know, compilations by country too. So like the Columbia compilation and yeah, sure. He was, he was pressing CDs and distributing that, throughout like the Latin American marketplace. Cause there wasn't at the time CDs were relatively new and the technology for pressing that wasn't, uh, widely available throughout many Latin American countries. Yeah. And I feel like, um, it, it's true, right. That Cumbia has sort of like different pockets, uh, region to region, like kind of how the approach, um, has originated from its earlier forms. Definitely. Yeah, there's many styles and variations for sure. I don't know if it's true, but I once heard that um, 
the Mexican cumbia and maybe like North American in general, like for um, other communities in North America, um, that it was because they got their uh, 78s from Colombia, but they could only play 33 RPM or something like that. Uh. Or nice. So so yeah. So they were listening to um, what would it be like slowed down. Slow versions down. of the originals and yeah, that was there's... like that that was what they could listen to and that was what they were basing like kind of their new songs on and it's kind of like an early chopped and screwed kind of situation <laughs> I don't know the origin story of how that came to be. That's definitely an interesting theory. Uh, but yeah, they, there's a style of cumbia in parts of Mexico where they listen to like very slowed down versions of the songs. And it's, it's really cool. It's like all... It's like kind of, like you said, chopped and screwed, kind of psychedelic and Mm -hmm. like all the little, you know, rhythmic grooves kind of come out really heavily because it's, it's a pretty simple rhythm, but it's, it's got a definite uh, groove to it. I feel like the Mexican stuff too, um, borrows a lot from uh, Jamaican dub, like maybe unintentionally, but like sort of the DJ talk over and all the sound effects that get thrown in. Yeah. And, you know, and I know that's been happening at least since the seventies. Like it's, it's a thing that's uh, carried on in the, in the tradition. Yeah. Kind um, of that sound, sound system culture of like, you know, bringing a sound system out to the streets and, and playing uh, music loudly and having the DJ talk over and amp up the crowd and uh-huh i think i think that is definitely a part of it my live sets kind of flow a little bit uh one to the next and i'm not playing much of that role of an mc a I'm hype more focused man on the yeah yeah but i do incorporate a lot of dub influences a lot of samples that i'll i'll kind of you know put a lot of delay on and and let them become an a vibe of, of their own I definitely catch some like King Tubby vibes and things like that coming out of your work. Nice, so thank you. It's a nice uh, synthesis of uh, different different folk forms. For sure, I love that. That, I mean, it's. I think there's definitely a dub, cumbia, reggae connection, even in the rhythms. They're kind of that more laid back. Mm-hmm. And a focus on the offbeat. Mm-hmm. For sure. Well, yeah, this has been our uh, music music theory session. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Terra Cactus, when that first came to be a thing, it was a solo act, and that's that's what I saw initially. Is it, am I am I correct there? Yes. Uh, well, kind of. The production and the recording has always been. I would say 90% has been a, a solo endeavor. Mm-hmm. Um, and the live shows, I've always tried to incorporate other bandmates, whether it's uh, 
doing live visuals or playing percussion or having multiple percussionists. I like I like the live experience to be a little bit more dynamic in that way. So having extra hands on stage definitely helps bring that energy level up. It is a like it's a multimedia experience and it's very very immersive, and I think one thing that I'm sure you've talked plenty about before, but uh, the fact that you and the other performers wear these really intricate masks, they kind of remind me of a early '80s CGI kind of a structure. Yeah, kind but, of geometric and uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what's the deal? What's the deal with the masks? Was that always part of the aesthetic? Maybe to backtrack a little bit, when I first came up with the name Terracactus or the idea of of making this a more dedicated project, uh, I really wanted to have a cohesive look and sound and performance i just i i didn't want to rush into just having a a project so i i took my time and i thought like this element of the masks could be a really cool defining uh feature and it really has a lot of different uh symbolism to it in the sense that i think that the music i make is a little bit more uh psychedelic or or heady more than like party like you know kind of that bro energy right more like laid back and psychedelic and in your head and i think that the masks help bring out that psychedelic component it kind of i like to think of when i put on that mask and go out and perform that i'm kind of like transforming myself i'm like metamorphing into some different you know uh creature in a way and bringing out this music through through i don't know channeling something yeah that so that definitely comes through as an audience member as well it 
it's very effective i think it's very otherworldly nice yeah that's what i'm going for and part of that uh is also it's fun to perform in a mask it's kind of you can let go of your inhibitions a little bit more and and uh take on a different personality yeah i wasn't sure if it was some sort of a old folk tradition or if it was just a an aesthetic choice but yeah yeah i like i like the balance of kind of a futuristic mm-hmm. and the idea of putting on a mask feels kind of like a folk tradition you know it's like going back to that like ritualistic transformation of the individual so it's that's a lot of what i like to seek out in my music as well as mixing the folk traditions with kind of these futuristic psychedelic hallucinatory sounds percussionists in the group two of them is that right is there, i have is there a uh, variable band members or? it's variable yes yeah. the main percussionist i'm working right now i'm working with mainly one percussionist mm-hmm. um his name's david french and he plays uh primarily timbales and some conga as well okay yeah it's it's very good for the um for the live energy did did you when you went to south america to do some shows and you've collaborated with an argentinian artist recently uh wazu wazu yes yeah who who's that wazu is a producer who i discovered through a label called shika shika and they're kind of like an you know really into this mixing of dan- down tempo music with latin american folk and folk from all over the world and he was one artist that i really was drawn to and i just reached out to him on social media and i said hey your music's really cool and he reached back and said your music's really cool too and we started talking and uh one thing led to another and we collaborated on a couple of yeah. releases now have you met before 
we have not met before. Isn't that crazy? Uh, it's so crazy. Yeah. But I think we have this connection that uh, I don't have with many other people just because that creative process, I think, can be kind of intimate in a way. And you end up sharing a lot of ideas and, and thoughts about a lot of things that, and about yourself and learning things about yourself and each other along the way. So it's, it's cool. I recommend it. <laughs> So I became aware of another collaboration, and I don't know how deep it went, but there's there's a pretty cool video of you playing with the band Tres Leches. Yes. That That's out on the uh, YouTube. I forget where it came from initially, but um, that that's really fun to see you with like, you know, more of like a rock outfit, which you've mentioned that you're no stranger to that sound. Um, yeah. But, that was a really fun collab, collab. Sorry, go on. Oh, yeah. Well, you sing in that video. I do. Yes. Yeah. That was, that surprised me. <laughs> <laughs> sing so why do you choose not to there's there's definitely some personal reasons like i'm pretty bad at remembering lyrics <laughs> so there's that like very practical element that i'm just i can remember a, a melody like uh nobody's business but lyrics are are just challenging for some reason sometimes putting lyrics to a melody or an idea that is 
kind of intangible narrows it down a little too much and it makes it about something specific and i think it's kind of fun to leave it open-ended in a way Mm -hmm. uh so that's part of it too. I, th- I felt like the songwriting process, uh, something about the way I was doing it, I just felt like when I tried to put lyrics to some stuff, it it felt uh, restricting instead of liberating. So what is your songwriting process? Like when the boss says, hey man, we need, we need 10 new songs by the end of the month. <laughs> like, <laughs> I definitely like just coming up with melodies on the guitar. And having that as a starting point is, is a really strong, you know, cause if you have a good melody, everything else can fall into place and, and support that. And you have a song, uh, but I also like mixing things up a lot. I like using hardware drum machines and, and synthesizers. Uh, sometimes I'll start an idea with a voice memo or an, an app on my phone, like a silly, you know, music making app that isn't super sophisticated, but it can be just anything that gets the creativity flowing, uh, can be a starting point. And then I, I try not to get too bogged down on finishing it right away. I feel like if I let it go and then come back to it at a later point, uh, I'll have all this new creative energy and ideas to add to it. So that's more or less the process. Yeah. Come back with new ears and pick up where mm-hmm. you left off. Yeah. And try not to get stuck. Just keep keep the creative juices flowing. You mentioned uh, to me in our correspondence that you're living on a farm now. I am. I recently moved about a couple hours east of Seattle to a small town uh, named Kashmir. And my wife and I are starting up a just small organic farm. Oh, wow. So this is like a, this is a permanent move or as as permanent permanent. as life can be. For sure. You miss the uh, Seattle action or is it kind of nice to be far removed from it? I miss the, the music scene. Definitely. But I, you know, it's only a couple hours away, and if I want to go see a show, I have friends and family I can stay with and and all that. I definitely appreciate being so close to, to nature out here. I mean, we have really incredible mountains and rivers and hikes just five minutes away. So what are you guys farming? A little bit of everything. We're going to, you know, do vegetables we're gonna have like a food forest section with a bunch of fruit trees Mm -hmm. and uh recently started uh raising quail as well for the eggs oh wow so how many quail eggs does it take to make an omelet (laughs) probably six at least (laughs) yeah they're tiny maybe more i mean depends how many yeah how how big big you like your omelets yeah yeah (laughs) You have a little studio out there? I do. I have a little room that I've converted into a studio with, you know, monitors and synthesizers and all that good stuff. You think there's any good outlets for you to uh, perform locally? Have you scouted? 
Oh man, I have I have a few ideas of like, I mean, there's a huge Hispanic population out here because it's so agricultural, and I would love to uh, really engage with that. And there's some some really interesting spots that I think would be good venues, but I'm still still getting the lay of the land and uh, a feel for what might make a good venue out here. Yeah, I mean, Seattle is, it is a metropolis, and it is a diverse city, but it, for a metropolis, it is still pretty white. And Yeah, for sure. Like, I mean, what was your, what was your audience, like, is it mostly, like, indie rock shows and things like that, or? Uh, at first, it was definitely that, because I feel like that's, that's the kind of show that is most available most accessible when you're starting a band that nobody knows about is playing at a, a, a local bar with some other more established local acts that can draw in a crowd and right um but it's always been kind of my intention to to allow for a different scene to blossom as well uh i organized you know i really like playing with tres leches and organized a few shows uh i mean one show that stands out to me that we put together was with tres leches and guayaba and kind of featuring very different latinx music scenes but all kind of uh somehow working well together i mean the audience was still primarily white but i think it's just it's cool to have something uh that wasn't just, you know, salsa. I feel like right. people think of, of Latin music, they're like, let's go salsa dancing. And they're like, that's cool, but it's also, you know, almost like it can, I love salsa music, but when that's the only thing that people think of when they think of Latin music, it feels kind of like a stereotype, you know? Totally, so totally. It's, it's, I, yeah, it's just cool seeing, especially now, it feels like there's a lot more, happening in Seattle uh, a lot a lot of different artists kind of exploring that and, and coming together and putting together parties and uh, yeah I think things are happening I wondered if people ever actually danced cumbia at your concerts a uh, few people <laughs> yeah yeah it lends itself I mean well to dancing cumbia but it also lends itself to, you know, bobbing your head and bobbing your head and, yeah. and just wiggling, know, wiggling a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> do you do you know how to dance the cumbia? Are you a dancer? I do. Yes. I mean, I'm not I'm not like a dancer primarily. I'm more of the musician, but uh, but I do. I do like dancing cumbia. Yeah, I know it's a simple series of steps, but. I'm just not that kind of coordinated person. That's why I've always been in more of a curative role, like DJing yeah. and things like that. Like nice. you dance. <laughs> I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna enjoy the jams. The thing I like about the cumbia dance is that, to me, it feels a little less intimidating than than salsa. Salsa feels like oh, if do you, you have a, a name for that and, single? I don't want to. Maybe dance we could play it here on the show. <laughs> It has a little bit of, of like this, uh, yeah, I don't know. 
It's intense. It's hard. It looks hard. I've never even attempted the salsa stuff. I heard a rumor that you had a surf rock band. I yeah, <laughs> I mean it was it was something like that. It was surf. Like it was that. garage. It was uh, it was wacky. Uh, it was called Tummy, like belly, but tummy. Uh huh. And uh, it was really fun and really wacky and you know played a lot of house shows and and basements and and yeah what else can i say about it? yeah is that is that like in your teens no that was in my 20s uh, okay yeah i'd say mid mid early to mid 20s uh-huh <laughs> and it was fun I mean, I think performance has always been a really fun part, like almost like performance art or perform, like just interacting with audiences in, in unexpected ways have, has been a big part of what is fun for me in playing shows. And we did a lot of that in that band. Uh, we had like <laughs> contests where we would, uh, invite a member of the audience to chug uh 
Shaq Soda. Do you remember Shaq Soda when that was a thing? Shaquille O'Neal came up with his monster monster cans of uh, like cream soda flavors. There was like strawberry cream soda. There was like blueberry Whoa. cream soda. And these cans were enormous, like Shaq sized, and they all had his face on it. Holy! So cow. we'd do this. We would do this thing where we'd give an audience member and me uh, one of these monster cans of soda, and we'd have a chugging contest. And I always lost. <laughs> not because I was trying to. Not because I was trying to. Just because I I'm not good at chugging uh, sugary drinks. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it was it was really funny. It was fun. Wow, spokesperson for Shaq. <laughs> I yeah, I totally I totally slept on that. I guess I never I never saw any Shaq sodas. <laughs> it was short lived. Oh man, are you excited about anything that you've been working on lately? You... Yeah, totally. Yeah, what what's coming up? I've been working on a collaboration, uh, an EP with this artist from Mexico City, uh, who goes by Bawa. She's a vocalist and also a producer and songwriter. Um, but working with a vocalist is is really exciting and kind of a new new creative process. So it's another collaboration and it's just kind of Yeah, it's really exciting. And it's called Suena tu canto. Suena tu canto. En el más allá se abre el portal. La piel del cielo cubre la inmensidad. Será que detrás hay Canto. 
I, I think this uh, sort of correspondence-based collaboration, um, I think it's I think it's exciting times. It's exciting. Just, yeah, music that wasn't really as possible or as feasible. I mean, have you been to Mexico City? I have, but I've never met this artist. I've always so, wanted to go, but yeah, yeah. You, oh, you should go. It's cool. <laughs> it's one of my top top favorite cities. Here's a question for you. Do you feel like you have a responsibility to preserve a folk tradition through your work? Uh, I think so. I mean, I think that what I wanted to, what I want to do in my music is kind of keep alive uh, traditions, but by letting them evolve also and Mm -hmm. letting them become part of this new context. You're you're pushing it along. Yeah, exactly. Keeping it relevant. And uh, I love the really, really traditional stuff. Um, And I wish I had that uh, as more a part of my life. But it's really exciting to to be able to bring that into a new context and explore new possibilities with that. And something that feels unique to my my experience too as as a you know immigrant living in, in the US uh in these crazy times. Yeah, they sure are. I mean it's fun to connect with kind of my heritage also and my roots and you know being so far away from places and people uh that i feel like are a big part of who i am uh having that music is really rewarding
Martine, thank you for joining me today. Again, it's been great to hear more stories about your background and your process and the amazing work that you do. Thanks for having me. Yeah, anytime. Come on back anytime. Where can we point the listener to to find more of your music and give you some support? Uh, TerraCactus.Bandcamp.com. Bandcamp's great. Hopefully yeah. it continues, continues to be great. We'll see what happens. <laughs> uh-huh. There's some changes going on there. Maybe. There's some changes. But At least on paper. <laughs> yeah, maybe. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Um, or terracactus.com is my website. Uh, you can Google terracactus. I don't think many other things will pop up with that name. Yeah. That's a great website too. Thank you. One of the best on the whole web. Oh man. Wow. Might have to make you an award. We'll see. I am, I am flattered. (laughs) (laughs) This has been the 56th episode of Low Profile, featuring my interview with Martin Salasco of the band Terror Cactus. Thanks to Nathan Burko Gibson, who painted all the portraits for season five, and thanks to Martin for his time. You can find a list of songs played on this episode, links to all the previous episodes, and access exclusive bonus content at lowprofilepodcast.com.